home. It's where you're supposed to feel the safest. But what happens when your home is turned into a house of horrors? Stranger in the House is a true crime podcast that investigates stories of home invasions, murderous spouses, and all manner of heinous acts committed in the one place you should feel safest. We look at crimes that will make you want to lock your doors and pay close attention to the ones you live with. It will make you ask the questions, what is a stranger? And is there one in my house right now? Listen to Stranger in the House on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts now. New episodes every Thursday. Bethany Funk, get the funk out of here stuff. So there, that's just where it, um, I blew this one up because this is where it states. um, During the course of my investigation, it became known to me that Bethany Funk has information material to the charges against Mr. Koberger. Portions of information Miss Funk has is exculpatory, exculpatory to the defendant. Miss Funk's information is unique to her experiences and cannot be provided by another witness. So we're going to look at this in its entirety. So all we knew was that somebody was actually wanting to quash this document, which means they don't want this on the record, I guess. Like, they don't agree with this. They either don't agree with the fact that She has information or they don't want this on record and they don't want her to test page. Um, We have in the district court of the second judicial district of the state of Idaho in and for the county of Leta. State of Idaho versus Brian C. Koberger case number CR 2922-0002805 affidavit in support of motion for out of state service. Richard Batanti, this is the criminal investigator, being first duly sworn upon oath, deposes and says, one, I am a criminal investigator hired by the, hired by the defense to assist in the representation of Brian Koberger. Two, I was asked by appointed counsel and C. Taylor to investigate the alleged incident which led to the arrest of Brian Koberger. Number three, Brian is charged with four counts of first-degree murder and one count of burglary. Number four, the deaths took place in a three-story home. There are two bedrooms on each floor, bathrooms on each floor, and a kitchen, dining, and living room on the middle floor. Mr. Koberger is alleged to have entered the house around 4 a.m. while six people were sleeping slash present, killing four people in two separate rooms. Number six, the people killed were located in two bedrooms, one on the second floor and the other on the third floor. Number seven, Bethany Funk's bedroom was on the first floor. Number eight, the other surviving roommate's bedroom was on the second floor. Number nine, Bethany Funk was interviewed by police on several occasions. She disclosed things she heard and things she saw. 
number 10, Bethany Funk, was present at the home eight hours later when police were called, arrived on scene, and discovered the homicides. All right, page two. Holy. Okay, so here is, I'll put page two next to page one so you guys can see them both. All right, so page two reads as follows. Number 11. During the course of my investigation, it became known to me that Bethany Funk has information material to the charges against Mr. Koberger. Portions of information Miss Funk has is exculpatory to the defendant. Miss Funk's information is unique to her experiences and cannot be provided by another witness. Thank you, Mandy. Bethany Funk resides in the state of Nevada, and it is necessary to subpoena this witness because the witness's testimony is material and necessary to this case dated the 22nd day of March by Richard Bitanti, criminal investigator. And that is notarized in the state of Idaho. It says in the district court of the second judicial judicial district of the state of Idaho in and for the county of Lataw. State of Idaho versus Brian Koberger, case number CR2922-2805. Certificate of an Idaho judge to secure the attendance of an out-of-state witness. Having considered the defendant's ex parte motion for certificate to secure the attendance of an out-of-state witness and the affidavit of Richard Batanti in support of said motion, and the court being otherwise fully advised herein. One, Megan E. Marshall, do hereby certify as follows. One, I am a magistrate judge for the second judicial district of the state of Idaho. Okay, so I'm a magistrate judge for the second judicial district in the state of Idaho, which is constitutionally and statutorily pers- prescribed court of record in the state of Idaho. In this case, Brian Koberger is charged with four counts of first-degree murder under Idaho Code 18400, which is punishable by death or by imprisonment for life, and one count of burglary under Idaho Code 18-1401, which is punishable by imprisonment in the state prison for not less than one nor more than 10 years. Three, I am the judge assigned to preside over the preliminary hearing that's scheduled to occur on June 26, 2023 at 9 a.m. through June 30th, 2023. Four, Bethany Funk may be a material witness for the defense in this case. Five, for the reasons stated in the affidavit of Richard Batanti, the presence of Bethany Funk is required at the Lataw County Courthouse located at 522 South Adams Street, Moscow, Idaho, beginning at 8 a.m., on June 28th, 2023. She is ordered by Megan Marshall. Under the laws of the state of Idaho, if Bethany Funk comes into this state 
in obedience of a summons requiring her presence at this hearing, she will not be subject to arrest or service of any process relating to matters that arose before she entered the state under summons. Now, this is dated the 24th of March. Will not cause undue hardship to the witness to be compelled to attend and testify in the prosecution or a grand jury investigation in the other state and that laws of the state in which the prosecution is pending, da-da-da-da-da. Once the procedure is followed and that burden is met, then and only then shall the judge issue a summons with a copy of the certificate attached, directing the witness to attend and testify in the court where the prosecution is pending or where a grand jury investigation is commenced or about to commence at a time and place specified in the summons. In any such hearing, the certificate shall be prima facie evidence of all the facts stated therein. Moreover, there is no authority for an Idaho criminal defendant to summon a Nevada witness to Idaho. This must be from her lawyer. Yeah, this is definitely from her lawyer. So she's the motion to quash. Bethany doesn't want to testify. She doesn't want to have to testify. Why? Moreover, there is no authority for an Idaho criminal defendant to summon a Nevada witness to Idaho for preliminary hearing. There is also no authority for an Idaho criminal defendant to summon a Nevada witness to an Idaho matter without a hearing. And there is no authority to summon a Nevada witness to an Idaho matter without a Nevada judge making a finding of materiality, necessity, and lack of undue hardship. NRS 174.315 does contemplate a Nevada criminal defendant's ability to subpoena a witness to appear before a court in Nevada. However, there is also a requirement for a hearing requirement there. Thus, even if that law applied by analysis, no hearing occurred and that important procedural requirement was not met. Additionally, NRS 174.415 provides that if a judge of a court of record in any state, which by its laws has made provision for commanding persons within that state to attend and testify in this state, certifies under the seal of such court that there is a criminal prosecution pending in such court. I don't even understand this mumbo jumbo. This is all lawyer talk or that a grand jury investigation has commenced or about to commence that a person being within the state is a material witness in such prosecution or grand jury investigation and that the person's presence will be required for a specified number of days. Upon presentation of such certificate to any judge of a court of record in the county in which such person, person is judge, what? Is such judge shall fix a time and place for a hearing. In other words, they're saying you can't do this without a hearing. So it sounds like they want a hearing. Like, we didn't get a hearing. We need a hearing. You can't just throw this out there. From a judge merely states Miss Funk may be a material witness. This insufficient under the law for this foreign subpoena to stand. I think they mean this is insufficient under the law for this foreign subpoena to stand. Lastly, as this court is well aware, a preliminary hearing is limited to a finding of probable cause rather than reasonable doubt which is the evidentiary burden at trial. This is the same standard in both Idaho and Nevada. Then she cites some cases, which specifically holds that a preliminary is not a substitute for trial, and the purpose of a preliminary is to determine whether a public offense has been committed 
and whether there is sufficient cause to believe that the accused committed it. A preliminary hearing is not meant to become a mini trial due to its limited purpose in deciding probable cause. What do you guys think of that? I think bullshit. Because if they think that she has um, exculpatory evidence, that's not just, oh, hey, this is just some random witness. This is someone who could prove his innocence, who has information that could exonerate him like he said. I can't wait to be exonerated. He didn't say, I can't wait to be found innocent. He didn't say, I can't wait to be proven not guilty. <clears throat> he said exonerated. And that's exactly what exculpatory evidence would do. It says Rachel or Rochelle, sorry, it says Ann Taylor hired her own PI. So this is what I'm wondering. Who paid for him? Who paid for Mr. Um, Richard? Because I've never seen a public defender fight this hard and like do this much for a defendant. Unless I'm missing something. I've never heard of this being done like, oh, hey, this private or this um, public defender is going above and beyond. But I guess... I guess because it is a death penalty case, now they have the the damn, um, you're right, Mandy, because they have the firing squad now too. Like, this is serious business. Arguably then, even if Miss Funk possesses exculpatory evidence, which remains unknown, there is no place or reason, oops, to prevent that evidence, present that evidence at a preliminary hearing. The preliminary hearing requires the state to offer competent evidence to support probable cause and convince the magistrate that a trial should be held, not the issue of innocence or guilt of the defendant. Exculpatory evidence is an issue for trial, which the documents presented misleadingly suggest the preliminary hearing to be. For all these reasons, the subpoena served upon Ms. Funk is improper. Accordingly, the court should quash the Suprina issues purporting to compel Ms. Funk's attendance at the preliminary hearing in this case. So this is signed by the foreign subpoena was improperly issued. <clears throat> there was no component of the statutes following and followed in issuing it. And the court should quash the subpoena issued to Ms. Funk now. This dated the 21st day of April, 2023, and this is her attorney, Kellyanne Valoria. This is crazy stuff. Things she heard and things she heard and things she saw. Integrity investigations. Is there, is there thing? Integrity investigations Idaho so here's their website full service investigations and consulting about us attorneys first choice for investigations and litigation support more than 25 attorneys in Idaho Washington California and Montana have utilized our services for investigations and consulting 
So he was the one that did like this re crime scene reenactment for her, I guess. Whether you are accused of a crime, being sued, wrongfully terminated, or being harassed at work, you have the right to represent, to be represented and have your interests protected. More than 25 attorneys in four states can't be wrong when they choose integrity investigations. See our testimonials for more information. Mike Palmer, partner at Palmer George, and Robert C. Huntley, Idaho Supreme Court from the 80s. Robert Boone, Chief of Police, Bonners Ferry Police Department. Patrick and Catherine Lindsay, Spokane, Washington. Larry Fetters. Um, Federal Security Director, Los Angeles International Airport, Deputy Chief of Police for the LAPD, uh, Loss Preventions for Albertsons Markets, and N.T. from Coeur Delan. So it's Chris Sullivan and Richard Batanti that run this company here. Services are criminal investigation, discover and gather the evidence critical to your case. We have worked for some of the most prestigious law firms and lawyers in the Pacific Northwest. And it says that um, we look for testimony or evidence that may help to get your case dismissed before trial, prove your claims at trial, disprove the prosecutor's claims at trial, corroborate our witnesses and evidence and impeach the state's witnesses or evidence. Um, over 75 years combined experience in high-level law enforcement and private sector investigations, forensic interviews, trial preparation, and expert courtroom testimony. They do witness location and interviewing, sub rosa videotaping and surveillance and asset location, we wrote the manual on conducting internal investigations, literally. So it goes in to tell you everything they retrieve. People in asset searches. I'm just wondering how much this is costing the defense. Holy smokes. Criminal, civil, and administrative. Interesting. Not one picture of these guys, though. Not one photo on this whole website. Are they that covert? I mean, their names are there. Why not show their pictures? They're in Rathdrum, Idaho. Isn't that where Kaylee Goncalves lives? Integrity Investigation, South Bend, Indiana. What? They only have 154. Followers, but it sounds like they're like government contracted. John Mazzotti. They haven't posted on here since 2020. <gasps> Look at it. it says our case, June 16th, 2020. Idaho High Court overturns conviction in CDA rape case. A conviction was vac vacated last week against a Kootenai County man 
who was sentenced to a suspended 10-year prison term in a rape case. Is this the Ann Taylor one? Because I've never looked into that. Let me blow this up. A Kootenai County man who was sentenced to a suspended 10-year prison rape term in a rape case. The Idaho Supreme Court said evidence regarding the victim's history of reporting false rape claims, which was not admitted in this case, should have been considered by the court before sentencing Stephen M. Chambers to a 10-year suspended sentence. Chambers, 29, was placed on probation in 2017 after pleading guilty in Coeur d'Alene's first district court to battery with intent to commit rape. According to the vic- to the court records, Chambers, who has a speech impediment and learning disabilities, met the victim June 3, 2016, and the couple exchanged sexually explicit messages and pictures on their cell phone. The victim, who goes by NS in the court record, later visited Chambers at his residence between 1 and 2 a.m., and the couple engaged in sex. Afterwards, the victim called police to report being punched and raped by Chambers. During an interview with Cordelan police detectives, Chambers admitted to having sex with the victims, with the victim, according to court records, but insisted it was consensual. He later told police he had punched NS and forced her to have sex. Chambers' attorneys introduced evidence of NS's past sexual behavior, including evidence of a false report of another rape that NS filed against another Cordelan man after Chambers' arrest. In that case, police did not pursue charges against the man after establishing facts similar to those in Chambers' case, according to the Supreme Court opinion. In both cases, NS deleted all text messages between the accused and herself before calling police. Also in both cases, the men insisted the sex was consensual. Police declined to arrest the second man, and a Coeur d'Alene judge dismissed the evidence of NS's sexual history in Chambers' case, citing it could mislead a jury. Idaho Supreme Court Justice John Stegner said the dismissed evidence was relevant and should have been admitted. He vacated the first district court's conviction and remanded the case back to the Coeur d'Alene court. Chief Justice Roger S. Burdick and Justice Gregory W. Moeller concurred with Stegner's decision. They didn't say who the lawyer was for him. Stephen Chambers. But as far as Koberger goes, I mean, we only have what is in the PCA is what Moscow PD is telling us, right? That's all we know is what they put in that PCA. And what they put in that PCA was that this dude did it, right? And and what they put in the PCA was that the the roommates were sleeping. And we know that's not true now. So how can they just put false facts in a PCA? I'm even more so like you you need to prove because what if Brian Koberger had a knife and it was left in his car and someone stole it? I don't know. They're going to have to mm, wonder what Bethany saw and said. So this lady was accused of sexual. Oh, the thing's gone because they exonerated her. Or she was acquitted. See, look, Thiel found not guilty in sex battery case. High school instructor. Integrity Investigations, there was no sex. There was nothing but a lying, narcissistic little punk.
High Court Overturns Battery Conviction, one of our recent cases. Ida County. Client not guilty of first-degree murder. So here's the deal. Prosecutor did the best she could with a flawed, biased investigation. Sounds familiar? Tunnel vision led the cops to focus on our client, to the exclusion of all others overlooking critical evidence. Two and a half years later, the jury saw that our investigation pulled the curtain back on some pretty shabby police work, frankly. In the hands of a lesser attorney, it might not have made a difference, but Ann Taylor did a superb job defending Heather Crawford. Shout out to my friend and partner, Richard Batanti, a true professional who did a yeoman's job, and to our associate, Caleb Trinkle, an audiovisual tech wizard. Heather Crawford. On Thursday, a jury in Kootenai County sent shockwaves through the Silver Valley and surrounding areas when they handed out a not guilty verdict in the first degree murder trial of Heather Crawford. Crawford was accused of murdering 22-month-old Ezra Wilson, the daughter of her former boyfriend, Hiram Wilson, in August of 2014. The trial was moved from Shoshone County to Kootenai County after officials determined they would not be able to find an impartial jury. The trial began on January 11th, and after 16 days of being presented with evidence, testimony, and cross-examinations, the case was handed to the jury on Wednesday, February 1st. The verdict was presented to the court at 3.45 the next afternoon. The reaction from the public has been one of utter shock and surprise, as many felt though the case was an open and closed affair, but unfortunately for the prosecution, it was far from such. Shoshone County Prosecuting Attorney Keisha Oxidine believes that despite the not guilty verdict, the state put forth a strong enough case, but the jurors never got their smoking gun. I felt as though the state put forth a strong case for conviction. Oxendine said the state provided evidence of cause of death through numerous experts and provided evidence on the defendant's motive, intent and opportunity to commit the crime. Cases like these are often difficult decisions for juries as our society portrays the courtroom as always having the rhetorical smoking gun. In a murder case, it wasn't the case here and many of the experts experts testified that isn't the case in many child death cases. Former Shoshone County Sheriff Mitch Alexander, who was the sheriff at the time of the alleged murder, had believed that the case was going to be difficult to try based on a lack of vital evidence, but Oxidine thought that she had strong enough evidence to get the conviction. That sounds like that stuff they give you when you have a baby. That's brown stuff, Oxidine. I chose to charge this case and take it forward because the case and evidence was strong, Oxidine stated. I was confident the right person had been charged in this crime, and I'm still confident the right person was charged for this crime. A prosecutor does not back down from a case because because it is difficult. Most child death cases are difficult, but that doesn't mean you do not pursue it. Just, justice demands that a prosecutor seek justice no matter how difficult the case is. <clears throat> this case has always been about justice for Ezra in pursuing the case no matter how difficult it was. Late last week, the prosecution was handed a huge blow when one of their key witnesses, Crawford's ex-husband, John Crawford, was supposed to take the stand, but then things went very badly for Mr. Crawford and the prosecution. The state did not anticipate calling John Crawford as a witness, and it was anticipated he would testify about alleged statements the defendant made to him before her arrest. However, circumstances beyond the state's control 
resulted in the inability to call him a witness due to his credibility issues that included a DUI arrest in Kootenai County on the day of his anticipated testimony. Oh, man. He got a DUI when he was supposed to testify. Crawford arrived at the courthouse, but it was reported that he smelled strongly of alcohol and was asked to leave. Then, as Oxidine stated, Mr. Crawford was then charged with driving under the influence, driving without privileges, having an open container of alcohol in the vehicle, and leaving the scene of an accident, all which occurred immediately following his departure from the Kootenai County Courthouse. The statement that Mr. Crawford was going to testify about an alleged confession that on the night of Ezra's death, Heather had caught Ezra attempting to strangle one of her other children and proceeded to sit on Ezra's chest until she fell asleep, at which point she put the child in bed for the evening. This testimony, if accurate, would have been a huge part in the state's case. Oxidine pressed forward without it, though, convinced that the state still Just had... Just help a brother out here. Thank you. Had what they needed to get a conviction. <clears throat> the evidence that was presented at trial in this matter and the witness testimony that was presented, that opinion that they still had enough evidence to convict. Despite Oxendine's strong beliefs on the case, Heather Crawford's defense attorney and Taylor still raised several very serious questions that went unfounded. When asked if Taylor was surprised by Oxendine's choice to only pursue Crawford as a suspect, Taylor did not hold back. Taylor said, I was surprised the investigation and attendant prosecution was directed solely at Heather, especially given all the alternatives, Taylor replied. I am surprised there was no investigation of Hiram Wilson, the victim's father, or persons who may have retaliated against Hiram Wilson for his role in the Dobson Pass murders. Though given the police investigator's quick decision to protect him and focus their efforts elsewhere, I probably should not be. Wilson was convicted on two counts of accessory to first-degree murder in 09 as a result of the Dobson Pass murders in 08. He was sentenced to the five-year maximum for murder? He was sentenced to five-year maximum with two years fixed and three other indeterminate? indeterminate? Taylor also made mention of two other people being in the house that night. The first, a female who was there at the time. Oh, this is so similar. The first, a female who was there at the time that the first responder arrived following the 911 call. The second, a man who was in the house earlier that night, but was unknown to the older children in the house. I still can't believe there was no real investigation into the identity of the adult female in the house described by two of the first responders, the calm woman that was not Heather. Likewise, that no one there, no one tried to determine who the guy the older children saw in the house that night was and why he was never looked for. The police put the focus on Heather almost immediately. I was and am shocked at the way the investigation focused only on her. It is incredibly vexing that the investigation ignored many leads that did not fit in their theory, focusing on Heather to the exclusion of all else. It was a thinly veiled attempt by the police investigators to, in their words, break her and presumably to attempt to convey to obtain a conviction by way of character assassination. These thoughts were cemented by Taylor's firm belief that the investigations were never completed and was surprised at first that a case she perceived as being poorly investigated was ever taken to trial. But her surprise went away when she started to believe that the reason for the lack of investigation was because the prosecution had already made up their minds on who was guilty. Taylor said this is not a case 
that was investigated fully or completely. No person should ever go through what Heather went through these last two years on such a poor and lacking investigation. Once I saw what was and was not part of the official investigation and began my work, I quickly learned that correcting lacking information and correcting misinformation did not matter to the police investigators. They had very early, they had very, very early on made up their mind to protect Hiram and prosecute Heather. It also seemed that they were putting a lot of pressure on the prosecutor to try the case and get a conviction that would validate their rush to judgment against Heather. I like her. Hiram Wilson does not believe that he was protected in any way and that those thoughts were just part of a smokescreen put up by Taylor to achieve the reasonable doubt they wanted. That whole concept that I was being protected by my father, former Pinehurst Police Chief Rocky Wilson, was there from the beginning. The only consistent part of anyone's story is that I was sleeping. The timeline of events shows that Crawford was on her phone all night, the last text leaving at 11.08 p.m., and exactly one hour later, the 911 was called. So that leaves one hour unaccounted for by her. But the whole time she has stated that I was asleep, he said. Wilson's point was that despite the claims he somehow was involved, Crawford's story kept changing except for one thing, Wilson being asleep. There were stories where she, she said that she dozed off but woke up to a breeze or that she woke up because she heard one of her children make a sound. Wilson said the whole time, though, I was always asleep. Like these were part of why Wilson began to suspect that Crawford wasn't being truthful in what she was saying. But then Crawford began to make up statements that really began to make him suspect suspect that she herself was responsible. She kept saying, they're going to think we did it, that I did it, and we need to get an attorney. And I was of the idea, if you didn't do anything wrong, then you don't need an attorney. Then a few days later, she made the comment on a bright note, we won't ever have to see her again, referring to Wilson's ex-wife, Naomi. And that was when I broke it off with her. When she didn't want to be cooperative with police, she didn't want to release her phone, tried to erase everything from her phone and began making comments like that. Wilson is still upset with the concept of Crawford's character being constantly protected in the courtroom. But as a witness, they were able to drag him through the mud, as Wilson's mother, Jennifer, put it. None of her prior history of child abuse was ever brought up. Her drug abuse, her alcohol abuse, Wilson exclaimed. We couldn't say a thing about her character. My character and past was brought up and used against me. But hers wasn't allowed. I wasn't the one on trial for murder. It wasn't fair. Alleged things like prior run-ins with law enforcement and child protective services were also inadmissible in court. But he doesn't know or understand why. There was a lot of evidence that wasn't used. There was evidence they had that I didn't even know about until trial. So it sounds like Ann Taylor was successful in getting Heather Lynn Crawford off of first-degree murder charges. With the help of this guy, this investigations. That sounds like a really, really crazy, complex case right there. That was a lot. Like, I don't even, I don't even know if I comprehended what I just read. But a lot of it sounds very similar and... Um, All right, guys, that is, that's all we've got.